Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, where we shame bust thoughts and feelings around all things sex, gynecology, and female body judgment. We share honestly about our experiences, so you can do the same, leading us all to better health, better sex, and better lives. I'm Mika Simmons, and today on The Happy Vagina, I am ecstatic to have Stephanie Yeboah, the multi-award winning plus size star blogger, freelance journalist, public speaker, and fat acceptance advocate. Stephanie? Is there anything you can't do? Welcome to the Happy Vagina. Thank you so much for having me. For anyone who's listening that doesn't know anything about you at all, can you just say a bit about who you are? Sure. So I am a plus size style blogger. I talk about all things style, fashion, lifestyle. I am also um, a body positive and fat acceptance activist. I talk a lot about Um, intersectionality within the body positivity movement. I talk a lot about mental health, race and representation within um, the media, pop culture and how there needs to be a lot more inclusivity and diversity within these spectrums. And on top of that, I am also a new debut author um, and I have a book called Fatally Ever After coming out on the 3rd of September which we've had a sneak preview of and we've got to say it's absolutely phenomenal and we're very lucky to have you come on today. We're going to be moving on to some conversations around shaming of female bodies, dating, sex, but before we do we are going to have to give you the famous happy vagina quiz. It's five questions true or false then five quick fire questions. Steph are you ready? I'm ready. Brilliant. Question one. At the moment of orgasm, women do not have any emotional feelings. Uh, I want to say false. I would want to say that too. But actually, it is, in fact, true. Oh, interesting. Huh, really I'm going to have to note that next time it happens. <laughs> they basically look at 13 healthy heterosexual women. So this is a limited study. But they basically ask these women to lie with their heads in a, in a PET scanner and they compared the brain activity in the four states, simply resting, faking an orgasm, having their clitoris stimulated by their partner's fingers and clitoral stimulation to the point of orgasm. And the results were striking. As the women who were stimulated, their activity rose in the sensory part of their brain called the primary sensory cortex, but fell in the amygdala and the hippocampus, which is where alertness and anxiety and emotion live. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess there is a point where when you reach, I guess, that climax, it almost feels like your brain explodes. So there's like no time to think about any emotional kind of thing because your head is so full of like endorphins, I I can imagine. That's such an interesting um, fact, though. I wouldn't have. Yeah, I would definitely would have thought that would have been false. One of the reasons it's really interesting is because I think women we're taught and potentially because of our experiences that for us sex is about emotional connection and love but actually when it comes to the orgasm we're much more similar to men than we realize anyway you got that question wrong but you had loads of insight in it so we're going to give you half a point (laughs) question two tinder has been downloaded more than 340 million times since it's launched in 2012 uh true it is true Recently, they've been Ooh. moaning about the fact that because of lockdown, their gold, the people that pay for the gold service have stopped paying. I, I don't feel that sorry for them. Do you? Absolutely not. I'm, to be honest, I'm not really the biggest fan of, of Tinder. We're going to come back to dating apps later, Steph, because I know you've got a lot to say on them and I'm really excited to hear and I know that our listeners are too. Question three. The UK is free from intersectionality. False. I mean, like, so false, it's ridiculous. At last I thought it was a trick question. I was like, ah? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'd, ne- I'd never trick you on that. It's a really important topic. The reason that I put the question in, Steph, is because recently there's been the outpouring of rage around George Floyd, and there are people that are trying to tell us that racism doesn't exist. And I, I suppose, in a way, I, I was reflecting that madness. Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I think... You know, when when we speak about racism, I feel like a lot of people who are defensive about it automatically try and compare themselves to America, where racism is a lot more overt. But just because, you know, just because guns are illegal here, it doesn't mean that we don't have racism. Like, it is equally as bad. It's 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 terrible. Like, at the end of the day, it's like, well, where did America learn it from? Obviously, it's, you know, UK used to own America. And so a lot of the values are shared. So it's weird that people will assume, would assume that Britain doesn't have racism. It's, it's insane. Absolutely insane. Question four. Mm-hmm. Anorgasmia, which is the inability to reach climax in orgasm, is far more common in females. Ooh. Mm. Inability to climax. I'm going to say... I'm going to say false. Oh, Steph, we were doing so well. We were at three and a half. It's actually true. Oh, no. So 4.6% of females cannot reach climax in orgasm. When I say cannot, I don't necessarily mean medically. I mean... To date, they have not been able to. I mean, actually, Stephanie, I have got to tell you, I don't know if you know this, but it's International Orgasm Day today. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, when people (laughs) listen to this, it won't be anymore. But let's not bother telling them that. Whoever's listening, you should know that today is the day of the international orgasm and you should go and fulfill yourself with self-pleasure or with your partner to celebrate International Orgasm Day. Yes, I'm definitely down for it. <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> what we're doing this podcast. <laughs> okay, last of <laughs> the last of the true and false questions. 
The average woman takes 13 minutes and 25 seconds to orgasm during sex. Did you mean it takes 13 minutes as in like the orgasm lasts 13 minutes? No, it takes them 13 minutes and 25 seconds to get to orgasm. False. Oh, Steph, it's true. I love it. <laughs> Speedily changes her answer to true. Yeah, 13 minutes and 25 seconds to climax for women on average. I would have thought it would have been longer. Or maybe that's just what yeah, I see in the media in terms of women always being unhappy. Interesting, interesting. I think it probably does take me longer than that. I once had this boyfriend who, he I don't know why he was telling me this, but he was like, oh, I had this girlfriend once. All I had to do was like touch her knee and she'd come. And I was like, really? First of all, A, how's that going to help me? And B, are, are you sure that that wasn't Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally? I mean, let's face it, we've all faked orgasms, haven't we? Yep, definitely. Yeah. Quite interestingly, I did this little mini-series with um, Kate Moyle and I've been chatting to Alex Fox, a sex educator recently, and they've they've both said to me that actually on certain occasions, faking an orgasm can be a good thing to do. But we're going to come back to that later because we are going to be talking about sex and being honest about our bodies. You got four and a half. Mm, you got three and a half out of five there, Steph. Amazing. Oh, well done. Yeah. Five quick fire questions for you. Question one, brief or G-string? I just I don't like the feeling of a g-string or like a thong I just I find it really uncomfortable and I feel a lot more comfortable in a nice brief that's like quite like a good old you know Bridget Jones type brief. I just find them so much more comfortable I think one of the reasons that I wore the g-strings for a while though because I'm 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 not plus size but I am curvy and I and I've sometimes found that briefs go up my bum. Oh really? Yeah, like somehow or other they don't really fit me properly. I mean, sometimes aesthetically that could look quite nice. It can give the illusion of like a bigger bum or like a rounder bum if like if you're into that kind of thing. Oh, this is a very sexy conversation already, Stephanie. I'm loving it. <laughs> I, I, I'd never thought about that, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be, I'm, I'm going to be using that one. <laughs> Question two: Brazilian or bush? Uh, Brazilian, and I say Brazilian only because, and this has nothing to do with like any kind of patriarchal standards or anything like that. But I just, I'm not a fan of hair on me. Um, with the exception of my eyebrows and eyelashes and my hair. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Brazilian girl too, but just lately <laughs> in lockdown, it's been a bush. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, li- literally no point in like doing it. I'm not really going out. Like, just let it grow free. Question three, clitoral or G-spot? Clitoral. And um, I choose that because that's the only type I've ever experienced. <laughs> I don't know any other way. Interesting. Do you know that your clitoris is actually the same thing as your G spot? Uh, no, I do. I did not. Do you know? I didn't know before I started recording the Happy Vagina. And actually, if you visualise where your clitoris is in your body, and then go backwards from it, the G spot is behind the clitoris, and it's the nerve endings of your clitoris, but inside of your vaginal wall. Oh, how mad is that? And that's why I believe some people can't feel it because if the nerves are on 
strong enough or long enough behind the clitoris, then you're not going to have. So it's not some elusive thing. Oh, wow. That's that's mad. All this time I've lost Steph. She's gone to get her vibrator. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought it was like somewhere completely different. Interesting. Vibrator or no vibrator? Uh, No vibrator. And that's only because I can't use sex toys. Um, It's a really weird, I don't want to say weird, but I just, I get so uncomfortable with them and for the longest time I actually thought I had uh, vaginismus um, because it was just Mm. this really horrible um, uncomfortable feeling and I like I can't relax Um, and so I don't know if it's because I'm maybe demisexual and that I kind of need to have the real thing as opposed to an object but um, yeah uh, mentally and emotionally I completely switch off when it comes to that so I actually can't I can't physically use them, which is so frustrating when I see other women, you know, raving about their toys. And I'm just like, I can't join you. I'm sorry. But it would explain also why for you, a clitoral orgasm has been the key orgasm. Definitely. And I think, I don't know, I think there might be a time when I might have to like, ask somebody about this or maybe like, seek help. Um, Because I definitely do want to kind of explore that. But I don't know. I think psychologically, I just I'm unable to to use them. And it's so frustrating. Like, I feel like I've tried everything, but my body is just I mean, I don't know if it's because I lost my virginity like really late and I'm still quite Mm. new. I don't know. But I'm yeah, it just hurts all the time, which is really frustrating. How old were you when you lost your virginity, Steph? Uh, I was 25. And was that by choice that you wanted to wait that long or was it that you didn't have an opportunity to do that and did it feel all right for you? Oh, I definitely did not have a, ch- a choice and I I would have preferred to have lost it a lot earlier, but it was just a case of pe- not people not finding me attractive enough to date, I suppose. And so um, when I did do it, it was it was actually great. Like it was, I in a, in a way, I was quite happy that I waited until that time because emotionally I was a lot more confident about my body around that time um and so I didn't feel insecure and I didn't you know didn't even take put the lights off which I thought that would be something that I would immediately do and I didn't feel like I needed to hide my body um so it was really nice actually I actually felt quite um secure that people you is it an assumption, Steph, that people didn't find you attractive and why that that's why it didn't happen? Or did you have experiences that really kind of nailed that down because, mm. you know, you didn't fall into the beauty myth, you know, this myth about what yeah. beauty is, that somehow or other you weren't attractive to the opposite sex? It was definitely down to um, the rejection. So I, I faced a lot of rejection both in real life and on dating apps as well um people always commenting on my weight and people you know I went on dates where halfway through the dates um the guys would say oh you're a lot bigger than what I imagined even though I put up full-length pictures of myself on dating apps they would always comment on my weight in some way um I've had people sort of walk out halfway through dates I've had people live tweet the dates without them knowing that I was following them on Twitter um, and talking about how disgusting I looked, but they were going to try and have sex with me anyway, because 
they want to know what it feels like to have sex with a fat girl. And so I think when you are exposed to so much rejection due to how you look, it it can really um it can be quite traumatic and it really just closes you off to to dating because you just assume that, you know, nobody as long as I exist in this body, people are never going to find me desirable. And even to this day, this is something that I still, 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 still struggle with because when it comes to dating, I'm either fetishized or ignored. And so I'm just like, okay, am I going to have to do what I've always dreaded and actually lose weight in order to be seen as pretty, which is something that I don't want to do. I don't want to change myself in order to fit what society thinks is traditionally beautiful. I feel like everybody it's deserving of beauty. And I know I'm going off on a bit of a rant here. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, but, no rant. Continue. Continue. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, a lot of it has been based on a lot of the rejection and insults and things like that that I've received throughout the years. One of the things that I think is really interesting, Stephanie, is this is something to do with us as women as well. And how and, and, and it's about low self-esteem and it's about comparing ourselves with others and being in despair and how we break free of that to celebrate the individual and our uniqueness. And, and you are a real champion for that. Like you are doing amazing work, moving the conversation forwards and leveling out this preconceived conception that essentially has been brainwashed into us because if you go to other countries and cultures you know what is considered stereotypically beautiful in the west is not there yeah definitely it's like a whole standard of beauty that we seem to have concocted and I think you know it's so important to especially in this day and age with social media and things like that it's important to try and dismantle that um for the sake of our mental health and our and our physical health as well mm. we've got one more question tampon or menstrual cup oh <laughs> um can I go with neither because again I can't because of whatever's going on down there I can't act, physically put those in I'm too scared um and I haven't had a period in three years which has been absolutely amazing so literally like it's been incredible so I'll probably say nothing Steph you've not had a period in three years because you're on a medication or you just haven't had a period in three years Uh, because I have the uh, contraceptive implant which has been incredible (laughs) so good and 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 there off goes Mika to go and get it immediately (laughs) (laughs) amazing we're going to come back to some of the conversation around body positivity and dating but before we do I just wondered whether or not you could say a little bit about intersectionality and for anyone who's listening that doesn't really understand what that is can you give us your definition of it yeah so and intersectionality is society as we know it is kind of split into different demographics um, and different intersections for instance with you can have somebody that's from a, you know, from an ethnic background. And within that intersection, they also have another intersection, which is, for instance, they could be plus size. And then within that intersection, they could be perhaps uh, darker skinned, or they could be ginger, or they could have some kind of identity that sets them um, even further apart from the norm. So um, it's one of the huge reasons why people 
you know, why there was this sort of general thing of, of feminism and body positivity to an extent, actually, not being intersectional because it doesn't take into account all of the identities and the demographics that women and men can come under. It, it, it almost just narrows it down to what is seen as the norm and what is seen as um, socially acceptable, which is sort of uh, slim or thin, um, cisgendered and white. Well, and feminism does have uh, a history of being a movement that is owned by white privileged women in the West. Anyway, I was on a podcast myself recently and someone asked me what I felt the feminist movement at the moment meant. And I said, well, I think that a working class woman, you know, living on a council estate is probably not thinking about feminism because it's a privilege to even be able to think about these things. And that doesn't mean that a working class woman whose priorities are trying to feed her children can't also be feminist, but they're different things, aren't they? The fight is a different fight for that woman than it might be for a a professor at a university. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's important that in this whole deconstruction of these social issues that we're trying to we're trying to make right it's important to highlight and to include um people of all backgrounds um because I know that it can be an incredibly classist thing as well with some of these some of these movements that we have can have uh, really big issues with class and accessibility and so I'm hoping that in the future as we continue these movements that we're going into to try and deconstruct these uh, patriarchal ideals I think it's important to really take into account classism and you know not just like racism and and sexuality but the class issue because sometimes that gets lost so so quickly because of the other bigger overhead issues. Yeah and just listening to you talk the word that comes to mind for me as well is about honouring like really in a in a really like humble way honouring the fact that people have come from different places. I mean, this was actually a big thing in the 1970s, second wave of feminism. As you know about me, my mother was Irish working class and had a very poor start to her life. And she found the feminist movement. And within the feminist movement, she actually met a lot of women who were inverted commas better educated than her right so they, they, they were women who were middle class and had the opportunity to go to university. And they actually quite emotional about it. That it oh, no. Wow. <laughs> But but being around those women and their belief in her and her emotional intelligence and her her value as a woman mm. um, actually enabled her to then go to university later in life. Um, and she did go on and get a degree in her 30s and then she did an MA in, in her 40s in women's studies. And so these these movements give an opportunity for people to expand themselves if there's a humanity within them. Yeah, definitely. And, and if you recognise and accept that people are coming from different places. Absolutely. That's so important. That was actually one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because I read somewhere about the body positivity movement, was, but it was started by Jewish and, and black people. And I didn't know that, but I can believe it because the braveness of it uh, is, is, has definitely come from a, from, a, from a group of people who needed to fight. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's, I guess it's it's unfortunate, I think, that a lot of people sort of didn't know the history and it just speaks to how um, how much the movement has been taken over. Um, so it, it kind of started in like the late 50s, early 60s in America by black and Jewish women. 
And then as we sort of descended into the 70s and 80s and 90s, um, it kind of lay dormant for a while because there were loads of trends at the time in terms of body shape. So you went you, you went through like the surfer chick and then you had like, um, oh, what's her name? The Charlie's Angels woman with the hair. Farrah Fawcett, that's it. <laughs> you had like Farrah Fawcett and like her beachy wave look. And then we had obviously Kate Moss and heroin chic and all of these sort of um, looks that glamorized thinness were in. And so it wasn't until sort of 2009 that the body positive movement using that specific hashtag um, started to gain prominence on social media platforms such as Tumblr. And so that was where I first discovered the movement. And when I was on there, actually, I saw lots of women using the body positive hashtag alongside fast acceptance hashtag. And so when you would go onto those, those hashtags, you would only really see plus size and larger plus size black women, Hispanic women, disabled women, um, and, and, and other, you know, women of ethnic minorities, um, celebrating their bodies and writing poems and having discussions about the way in which they've grown up and had to adapt to their body. Um, loads of people posting up photos of themselves in dresses that they've bought and asking for opinions. Um, loads of loads of fat women sort of talking about the fact that they want to see representation within the media and posting up bikini shots and underwear shots. And it was just such a glorious safe space for women whose bodies do not carry societal privilege to celebrate ourselves and you know, um, be that representation for us. And around 2014 to 2015, what we found was that through influencers, um, specifically plus size influencers, the body positive community started to gain prominence within pop culture and within the media. And because we have a lot of body positive um, and plus size influencers, you know, uploading their photos and tagging their their um their clothing and talking about their bodies and their roles and their you know cellulite and all of these kinds of things we started to see a shift in the way in which the community was being run so that's where brands started to get involved so we we started to see a lot of um clothing brands beauty brands and lifestyle brands um use bloggers and influencers and people to push this body positive message however we then started to notice that the types of people they were using were very different to the people in the community and these were women that were spokesmodels for the movement and they were people such as Iskra Lawrence and Ashley Graham and you know white very very beautiful um sort of size 12 to size 16 models who were all slim when it comes to their you know their bellies However, they had like a bit of a bum and boobs and hips and thighs. Um, and this is what was seen as palatable to the masses. So it was almost a case of we want to promote body positivity and self-love, but only if you are an acceptable kind of fat. As long as you are still sexy and you can be marketable to men, then we want you for our campaign to sell self-love. And so when this started to gain a lot of prominence, um, we found that the very bodies that helped create the movement and the bodies that needed this movement the most were being severely underrepresented and almost pushed out 
of the movement that they helped create. And so for me, that's why I don't claim to be a part of that movement anymore because the people that are within it do not look like me. I do not relate to them. I cannot relate to their to their struggles because even though they may feel um, uncomfortable in how they look from a societal level, they are still treated leaps and bounds better than somebody that is a size 26, 28 or a size 30. Um, so that's kind of like a very brief, <laughs> a brief history of, uh, of the movement and um, yeah, where it seems to be going. Interesting that you say that you've disowned it and I love you for that brilliant Stephanie has disowned positivity she's creating her own Stephanie Boa movement which is <laughs> I'm in I'm in I don't think I probably quite fit but I'm in <laughs> I'm your, your Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ada, um, you know, the industry has has made great strides um and i really hear you that actually to be to know to not find a representation of oneself anywhere in the media then to create a movement and then for that movement to then feed back to you yet another example of something that you're never going to look like is really painful and it kind of negates the fact that the movement started in the first place to deeply represent what I would call real women because that's what we're talking about we're talking about real women and real bodies I know that five years ago you spoke on your YouTube channel about the lack of diversity in media in regard to beauty Mm. and I would like to know how you feel things are today within the industry in terms of plus size and black women I think there is still um a long way to go I think we are we have done actually quite well from five years ago but I feel like that's only because we have had to and by we I mean sort of plus size black women especially on social media we have had to fight tooth and nail and really shout and make our voices heard about representation um you know when I was growing up the only sort of person really that I could relate to in the media was Missy Elliott um, who was US based and you know she was a she's a great rapper and dancer and um, she was amazing because she was this you know plus size woman who was like dancing and singing in a very male dominated industry as well and she was successful and so that was great but in the UK like literally nobody I saw absolutely nobody that I felt represented me or that I could relate to and if we speak generally about the way in which plus size black women are seen in the media it feels like we are 
represented on two sides of the of a spectrum. So on one hand, you tend to see us um, for the most part doing quite subservient roles, such as like the help or, you know, in Gone with the Wind, you had the mammy, um, very sort of motherly and maternal and uh, desexualized almost um, in these kind of subservient roles. And then on the other side, you have um, hyper-aggressive and almost quite um, uh, feral and loud and sassy and, you know, full of attitude. And you have these movies in which men are playing plus-size Black women and depicting us as these really loud, aggressive uh, people. And it just feels like we can't get characters who are just normal and successful with successful jobs and great social lives and romantic lives. We, we know, we don't, we don't get our our place in the sun, so to speak, with with those kinds of characters. Um, so you're so you turned into a caricature or a comedy character, and also massive sweeping generalizations. Absolutely, yes. We are always kind of depicted as like the the sassy black best friend with no character arc. So even in, you know, shows like Shrill, um, which was a great show because it was like the first time, one of the first times we've had a plus size um, character having a narrative all about, you know, dealing with being plus size. But she had her best friend who was plus size, didn't have any kind of character arc. And feeding back to the whole mammy um, stereotype, she was there to offer support and help and nothing more and even in shows like Insecure as well you've got the black best friend who is very sassy and hypersexual there to provide support again it's always us providing support and never Mm. having our own narrative. What, What do you think the root of the problem is and what do you think needs to change? So it's a really difficult one and it's not a thing where I always want to bring up race but in terms of how we're depicted race definitely plays a part because for the longest time all we've played are maids and slaves on tv and it almost feels like modern day we're still being cast as those roles in terms of always having to be the support um so the root of the problem is that you are only allowed to have a place within culture or representations of culture within art film etc if you are subservient so that we continue that narrative which is that that black people are not as I don't know what the words would be valued important you know as as, as a white person and that's the root of the problem essentially is it, it keeps you as the underdog yeah definitely and I think in like in nowadays it's just it's really interesting because it feels like we are being kept as this kind of subservient um, character. But equally in the same vein, what we find is that there is a lot of cultural appropriation going on. So it's fine for people to take aspects of our culture and, and, you know, wear it or act it or, you know, do whatever they want with it and gain all of the adoration and the love and the visibility but it's not enough to actually feature the people who those things come from, um, which is mm. a huge problem. And I feel like it's a it's a definite way to kind of suppress specific demographics. Um, mm. Over the past year, though, we've had the lovely Lizzo, who has just burst onto the scene. And 
you know, for me, she's just been an absolute godsend. She is somebody that is confident and unapologetic and she takes up space and she must have the most difficult job in the world because she literally has like the hopes of all of like black plus size women across the world on her shoulders. Like she has so much responsibility that has been put on her shoulders as a black plus size woman because she is the only one at the moment within popular culture who 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 is like her who's doing any like doing the things that she is doing she has she's the first black plus size woman on the cover of Vogue she has been on several um amazing magazine covers gone number one won Grammys and all of these things and she hasn't made herself um small for anybody's comfort she is really somebody that champions um positive body image with bigger bodies and you know she's the representation that I needed to see when I was younger she is the woman Mm -hmm. that I needed Mm -hmm. to, to see in order to feel validated as a black plus size woman because up until then, because I didn't see people that look like me, I assumed, oh, it must be because we are ugly or we aren't valued as much. And, you know, we, we're we not good enough to be seen. And that really created mm. horrible low self-esteem issues with me. And so mm. with today's kids and, to, you know, Gen Z, they are so lucky to be growing up in a world where they now have an option of black plus size people to look to, 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 to follow and to look at. So everybody from Lizzo to, you know, social media influencers. There are loads of black plus size um, influencers and models about now um, who people mm. can follow and be inspired by. And so, yeah, I feel like this this generation is very lucky. I mean, it's a really rubbish time at the moment in terms of 2020. But in terms of representation, I feel like the kids, there's a leveling. There's a leveling happening, isn't there? There's a leveling happening because if you have representations of all different human beings in the media, whether it be the media that is is owned by big corporations uh, like Vogue, you just mentioned, um, thank God for Edward, or on social media, that there's a there's a leveling out going on where it's almost um, the exposure. There's an exposing of this hierarchical, canonical lineage of power that's been going on that has essentially been run by white privilege for, for for centuries and it's being smashed slowly 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 and Lizzo is smashing it and so are you one of the things that you just talked about in terms of your self-esteem um Steph and just coming back to the conversation around dating I my heart exploded earlier on when you said that you felt people didn't want to date you and and, and that you've had real life experiences of people I would use the word abusing you, actually, um, not just rejecting you. So much rejection. And then also on top of that, it sounds like there's been some abuse that's been going on. And I think particularly at the moment when we're in the middle of this crazy pandemic, social dating on, on dating apps is really important. The thing is about dating apps is that it's... So with a dating app, basically, you put a picture up of yourself and then you you might have a conversation on the phone, but mostly this is through pictures and written text. So there is this kind of uh, shop window. You know, we're giving them the shop window of what we want them to see. We can control it to a certain extent. Mm. I think that being as honest as we can in the way that we project ourselves on all of our platforms is important, which you have been on your dating apps and still you've experienced this 
abuse. And I wonder if you were going to design an online dating platform, how would you design it? So this is actually something that I have been seriously thinking about for two years now. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I may do it. Um, I'm just kind of trying to think about the logistics behind it. But I actually do want to create a dating app that um, for this one, I want it to be plus size specific. But the danger in that is that it can invite people that have fetishes or people that are just looking to have, you know, a quick, you know, a quick bang with a fat chick just to see what it's like. So in an ideal world, um, I think I would have a dating app that wasn't so much based on photos. It would be similar to something like eHarmony or something where you it was compulsory that you have to fill out a full profile because there's nothing that I hate more than when you go onto, you know, one of these swipey apps and you're looking at a guy's profile and he's just put his height or he's just put ask me, ask me more stuff. Or like, I really love a good, well thought out profile. Um, and as somebody that I'm, I wouldn't say that I like to casual day. I think I'm very much somebody that is into like seriously dating and long-term relationships. Um, only because I've never really, um, I've never really had the opportunity to, to do that before. It would be an app for people that were looking for uh, you know, good friendships or long-term relationships, they would have to fill out a full, full, full profile to actually show that they were serious about meeting somebody. And it would be an app for plus-size people and people that liked plus-size bodies. Um, because I think being fat and being on general dating apps is so harmful because of the types of things that we um we get told, you know, there are men that match with us specifically to tell us to lose weight or to tell us that we're fat or that we're ugly. And I've always said this with generic apps. I feel like, you know, like with some apps, there is a slider that you can mess around with to to choose, you know, the height of the person or the uh, the race or the sexuality. You can kind of have those options on all of the normal apps and like ages and things. I I know that this might come across as perhaps being, it sounds like it's segregating a bit, but I honestly do feel if there was an option on dating apps for weight, it would make me feel so much better because then I could log into an app and I would just be shown men who like my body type already. And it would make it so much easier in terms of swiping and talking to people and feeling confident knowing that you're going to meet up with this person and they already know and like how you look. I think that's a brilliant idea. I think, yeah, so I think it's really good. I think, you know, what what I'm currently doing now is like, you know, swiping right on every person that I find attractive with a good profile and then never getting swiped back or being matched and having, you know, a couple of lines of conversation. Then they look onto my profile, see how I look, and then they unmatch. And it's just like, I feel like the same way that we have a wide foot shoe section. So for we have like sections for people that have wide feet. We have sections for people that are plus size. It's easier for us to navigate and just go straight to that area instead of wading through all the rubbish. We should have that for dating apps. Steph, what do you mean wide feet section? Do you mean in shoe shops or on dating apps? In, sh- in shoe shops. 
<laughs> okay, okay, okay. I was like, the staging app is this and has the wide feet thing. But coming back to this idea about fetishizing, because I, I, I find again it really um painful and I you know, and I and I don't really understand it. I have a couple of male friends in my life who who I probably probably I'm gonna say this, I might regret it, who possibly I should introduce you to because I know for a fact that they do really, really love a plus size woman. Oh, send them my love. Instagram, please. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> However, what I don't know, Steph, is whether or not they get off on it. How do you what is the difference, okay, between a sexual perversion mm. and a healthy love? Like, what is the difference between that? Like, when are you being objectified yeah. by a man? I remember when I met my my boy, my first and only of a boyfriend, um, like in 2014, he had to really make it clear to me that he, he didn't have a fetish for plus-size women. Because when I first met him, I was very defensive and on, on edge because I found it really weird that somebody, and I know this sounds really dramatic, but I found it really weird that somebody would find me attractive and so I questioned him so many times I was like do you have a fetish for fat women and he was like he absolutely doesn't he just finds bigger bodies attractive and I think the key is the language and the way in which they talk to you so for instance if you're talking to somebody um either in real life or on an app or whatever the case may be if they continuously refer to your weight and they call you little nicknames like my, I don't know, my voluptuous queen or, you know, I worship your roles and your curves. If it's a case where they're always, always referring to your body more than your personality or the things that you can do or just your general essence, then it's very, very high chances that they are um, somebody that has a fetish for your body type. Um, if it's a case where they're just too visual and they're always asking, um, like I had an occasion where I was on an app and I was speaking to somebody that seemed nice, but he kept asking me to send him pictures of me eating. And I was just a bit like, but what? Oh, what? This is weird. Um, and then it turned out that he was a feeder. So he had a sexual fetish for feeding fat women to the point where they are like beyond full. Um, and yeah, I found it a bit. To try and have control. It's like a control to thing, and yeah. Control. And, and they find it gen- genuinely sexually appealing. And for me, I found that the fact that he kept asking me to send pictures, and even though, you know, that's fine if people have their kinks and their fetishes, that's, you know, I'm not here to kink shame. But for me, it was just a sense of, you know, that's not what I'm about. I'm a lot more than my body and my sexuality. And it's just frustrating that when you do exist in a plus size body, sometimes you're, you're only seen as a sexual vessel or something grotesque that needs to be, um, that needs to be conquered in order to make someone feel good about themselves. And we never really exist as people that have things to share and and things to offer with great personalities. It's, it's always just a thing that needs to be conquered because they see it as extreme or othering or you know exotic or whatever the case may be it's it's very frustrating I find that really upsetting because I think all of us as human beings mostly want love and and I I don't I don't think that another person makes us feel whole or fills the fills the hole or you know or, or it's not it's not that it's just that when 
genuinely all we're looking for is the kindness and warmth and genuine affection from another human being to be kind of hoodwinked like that is is really painful and I'm really impressed at how you talk about it in such a clear and boundaried way and I wondered for anyone who's listening who's really struggling with their self-esteem whether it be because they're plus size I mean you know because the stuff you're talking about Stephanie is identifiable to all of us the things that you struggle with within your intersectionality is actually relevant in terms of other people's mental health as well in terms of how we overcome, in terms of how we become more at peace with ourselves, about how we make the journey to deep self-love and appreciation. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered whether you could share a bit about that for you and how you've got there and what are the top things that you've done to get there and what do you do today to keep yourself there? Yeah, sure. So um, it hasn't been an easy ride. And I think one of the first things that I always say when it comes to the issues of self-love and this uh, body journey is that it's not linear. And it is, for me, it's been 16 years in the making and you will have your ups and downs. And there's nothing you can do about that because we are all human at the end of the day. But for me, anytime people ask, you know, what things, what steps can I take to you know, getting on the the train of self-love, I always say, first and foremost, write like a good three, four page letter to your body and just apologize to it. Apologize to it for putting it through all of these really traumatic procedures. Apologize for talking to it horribly. Um, Treat it with self-care. Tell your body what you think of it, honestly, and how you can make it up to them talk to your body as if your body was, you know, a human being or somebody that you, that somebody that loved you. Like our bodies give us so much. They give us the ability to walk and talk and to run and to dance and to sing. And in return, we're starving it and we're cutting it and we're hurting it. And it repairs itself because that's what it's trained to do. But ultimately we have to treat ourselves with such love because our body does so much for us. And I just yeah. thought it was so counterproductive to be hating myself. Um, oh, but write a letter like that to yourself. And what an amazing, amazing suggestion. I've done tons of work on myself, actually, through the years to, to heal trauma and to become peaceful with myself as I am today. But I've never done that. And I'm definitely going to steal that. And I suspect that quite a lot of our, our listeners will also be scurrying off after listening to this podcast and writing letters to themselves of healing and, and self-love. Mm. And um, just just to, what would be your top five tips in terms of keeping your thinking right-sized in a world when there's a lot of body shaming? Um, so my first tip, I think, would be to have a chat with your friends or family or people around you who often use fat phobic language and tell them how much it's affecting you. Because sometimes I feel like fat phobia is so common and accepted that people don't know when they're being harmful to others who are bigger. And so when you're around somebody who is smaller than you and they say things like, I feel fat or, oh my gosh, I'm getting so fat, this is gross. You kind of have to be there to remind them to say, 
you know, I know that you think my body is disgusting, but please don't say it in front of me. You know, like you really yeah. have to go there and say, I get yeah. it. Stop it. You think just stop yeah, it. Like, I did that with my kids a few years ago. Just stop it. Yeah, like stop don't say these things because what you're you're basically telling me that I'm ugly is what you're saying. You're saying that my body is disgusting and you would rather die than have a body like mine. Change me. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. don't so don't I don't want to hear those mess- messages. Um the second thing I would say second tip. The second tip I would say is to um, if you are active on social media and if you find that social media is playing a huge role in your lack of self-esteem, um, curate the types of images that you see. So unfollow all of the Kardashians and the Jenners and the Instagram models and start following hashtags that promote body positivity and body diversity. And just once you ingest all of this information um, and all of this inclusivity and diversity and body types it begins to be normalized in your brain and so you start seeing Mm. your body as normal so that would be my second Mm. one um my third tip is is um one thing that I love doing is splashing out every now and again and buying really really pretty expensive lingerie and treating my body to that and so what I would do is I will buy a pair and I'll just walk around the flat naked or I'll walk around the flat in them because I want to see mm. what my body looks like when it's adorned mm. by silks and lace and satin, um, especially being plus size as well. Our, um, when it comes to underwear and lingerie, we don't really have many options. A lot of the time it's very maternal and it's very like granny bras and all of these things. But um, over the last couple of years, we've had loads of brands who are starting to make really risque actually very sexually uh risque um pieces for plus sizes and so I don't have anybody to wear mm. them for but I wear them for myself and I I look at myself and I'm like yeah. oh wow like a queen like this is amazing it really does boost your confidence um when you wear something that's just very sexy and makes you feel really good in your body um the fourth tip is uh, a very generic one I know but definitely treating your body well in terms of self-care resting um taking you know baths if that's your thing um stretching your body just making your body feel good and doing the things that make you feel good mentally sometimes it's okay to sit in the house and do nothing I think we're we're at a point in society where we're so conditioned to always be working and have something going on and showing people that we have something going on that if you take a day off and you're Mm. just in your flat, just watching TV all day or on your phone all day, then it's seen as, you know, a bit of a failure, but it's not. Sometimes our body needs a rest and it's okay to sit at home and just chill and sleep and you know, play games or do whatever or write or whatever you want to do. Like it's okay to kind of take breaks and your body will definitely, definitely thank you for it. Um, And Mm. then the last thing I would say is, um, have you masturbated today? Like that should be an everyday thing, like a checklist. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was just number one, actually. (laughs) Masturbate every day. Masturbate every day. Make yourself feel good. I find out what you like and what you don't like and 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 all of these things like yeah. make yourself number one at all times you should be number one and you should you should treat yourself like 
the god the goddess or god you are you know I think those are five of the finest tips Stephanie that I've ever had I'm going to adopt all of them none of them are new to me like you said they're generic but I don't care I need to be reminded of them as frequently as possible because when you are a woman who struggled with her self-esteem all of this stuff and the way that we support each other is just really important I'm particularly going to take the one about masturbating every day (laughs) on that note just to close if your vagina could talk today Stephanie what would it say to you other than go to the doctors or see someone about what's going on with the vibrator situation (laughs) yeah what would it say to you where are the dicks like (laughs) ah yes mine do barren down here like what is what is the hold up you know it's been like oh coming up to two years now ridiculous absolute scenes but you know corona's kind of gotten in the way of that not that's not to say that you know I would have been successful before that but it's uh it's been a while yeah I feel like she would just say what's going on are we still working or like you need some intimacy don't you we do I'm gonna put that on my list of things I'm asking for both of us Stephanie thank you so much for coming on the happy vagina this has been a phenomenally inspiring eye-opening and heart-opening conversation and I'm really grateful to you for spending this time with us oh thank you so much for having me this has been amazing thank you and good luck with the book in September fatally ever after what's the release date it's the 3rd of September 3rd of September we can't wait thank you deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.